and welcome to She Thinks It Podcast, where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we explore the many benefits of free speech. Yes, we know that the First Amendment is important because it's a fundamental human right that benefits society as a whole, but did you know that free speech may improve your mental health as well? Well, our guest today makes the case that engaging in open dialogue may actually reduce your anxiety and depression and lead to overall wellness and personal growth. Her name is Dr. Chloe Carmichael. She is a clinical psychologist, internationally known speaker, and USA Today bestselling author. She is a leading expert on anxiety and stress management and is author of the book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. She appears regularly in national media, including ABC Nightline, Inside Edition, VH1, Vanity Fair, New York Times, and many others. And she sits on the advisory board of Women's Health Magazine. Dr. Chloe, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Thank you, Beverly. It's so great to be in the space where we are allowed to think for ourselves. (laughs) Yes, a very important thing. I actually want to start with your book before we get into the connection of mental health and free speech. As I mentioned, your book is called Nervous Energy, Harnessing the Power of Your Anxiety. I think most people view anxiety as being a negative thing. Why do you say that there is power in it? Sure. Well, the reason why there's power in anxiety is that the healthy function of anxiety is actually to stimulate preparation behaviors. So for example, if you're really anxious about a test that you have to take, we don't want to just breathe the anxiety away. Sometimes the anxiety is actually there as a little tickle from mother nature to stimulate us to, you know, study a little bit more or take a practice test or whatever the case may be. And the idea is that it's actually very empowering for us to realize that whether you think of it as from Mother Nature or God-given feelings or whatever these are, that these are helpful signals that can actually guide us to take constructive behaviors if we just make sure we do that proactively when we have those feelings instead of trying to stuff them down. And I know that you outlined this in the book, but what would you say is one of the top tips for taking anxiety, which can take us to a negative place, but help us harness it for the good that you were just talking about there. Any tips our our audience can take on helping with that? Sure. So the book has nine techniques and they're kind of broken into two categories. One is like a lean in and face your fear technique. So when the anxiety is stimulating you to prepare for something that you need to manage. And then the other is for when the anxiety has almost overstimulated you and the stressor is over, the test is over, but you're still just jazzed up with all this energy. And maybe your mind is even auto tracking on to studying for the test, even though the test is over. So one tip is that in that latter situation, when we have that extra energy still, we want to actually make sure we point it at something constructive. So there's a technique in the book called the mental shortlist. And what we do is we come up with five things that we know would be a better use of our time and energy, of our mental energy. It could be getting a jump on your birthday and holiday shopping, making weekend plans with your spouse, a work project that you need to get going on. But the idea is to have five things that you write down in advance So that instead of saying, stop thinking about that old test, it's over. That's like, don't think about pink elephants. Makes you think about pink elephants. Instead, you give your your brain five good things to pivot onto to make good use of the fact that you do have that extra mental energy. 
And of course, some people are looking ways to reduce their anxiety in addition to that. And you have a great suggestion. It's related to this idea of talking, of free speech, open dialogue. And I want to let people know that they can read more about this. This is what we're going to discuss today. But if you go to drchloe.com, you have a blog there where people can look at your um, article entitled Free Speech May Benefit Health, the Importance of Your Dialogue. And I thought this was so interesting because it is common for people to talk about the risks of conversation. We're used to speech being dangerous or thought of as dangerous or potentially damaging to your mental state. I even think about you always have those articles around Thanksgiving, which is how to handle conversation at the Thanksgiving table with family, especially related to politics. But you were actually making the point that mental health is actually benefited by engaging in conversation with people whom you disagree. Why do you say this? Oh, my goodness, Beverly, there are so many reasons why open dialogue, freedom of expression, talking it out, having a heart to heart, getting it off our chest. I mean, I think these are things that we know intuitively are helpful. They pro, they're pro-social behaviors. They bond us together. And yes, it's good for our mental health. I mean, people pay psychologists to come and learn how to take what's inside and figure out how to put it into words, right? And so why people would stifle their natural ability to do that is... Um, well, I mean, I would say it's beyond me, but I know why they do it, which is that they fear cancel culture and everything that goes with it. But the simple fact remains that psychology studies have shown that learning to label your feelings, put your inner experience into words, those things are absolutely associated with decreased levels of pathological anxiety or pathological depression. Putting your feelings into words and expressing yourself is of course associated with closer relationships, greater self-awareness, the ability to think through your thoughts and even discard certain ones. When you hear yourself say them aloud, if you realize that they don't really work for you, they don't make sense for you, all these things are good for people's maturity and their social relationships, as well as their self-awareness. And all of those things promote mental health. And do you find that women tend to be more open to having conversations even about feelings? Uh, do you find that there is a difference between the sexes on this? Well, women are naturally more prone to talk about feelings. However, you know, men may be very much inclined to say, discuss beliefs, right? So we all have different ways of processing our internal life, but whether you're male or female, learning to take your internal life and put it into words will, will improve your social relationships as well as increase your problem-solving abilities. I mean, you mentioned men versus women. Yes, women are also more prone to take refuge in social relationships, even though men need those too. Uh, but putting our issues into words does also help us to get help from others in terms of problem-solving and idea development. In fact, evolutionary psychologists have speculated that our gift for language is why human beings evolved to such a sophisticated species. Those of us who say, hey, language came from God, we can look at it that way too, that God gave us this very special, unique gift as humans. So any way you look at it, language is important and there's no need to stifle it. Would you say that all conversations with people 
are beneficial. Meaning, let's say you know somebody vehemently disagrees with you, is not in a place of wanting to have a conversation. Are there times where it is beneficial to your well-being to not have conversations that may be confrontational? Of course. Being pro-free speech does not mean having no boundaries. And being pro-free speech does not mean that you're in favor of hate speech or bullying or anything else. Um, It just means that you as a human being want to have the power to determine when and where and how you'll speak your mind. And it means that you as a human being listener will also have the power to determine when and where and whom you will lend your ears and open yourself up to. But just because I might personally choose to block out somebody's voice from my life, it's a totally other thing to say, I want to stifle that person's voice to exist for anybody ever. And from a psychological standpoint, if somebody has been thinking about an issue for a while and it's really, really bothered them, what do you see as the ease and comfort level a person has once they, as we would call it, get it off their chest? Do people tend to feel better when they get it off their chest? Well, you know, that's obviously going to depend a little bit on the content of what they're getting off their chest, right? So you might, you know, have a heart to heart and get off your chest some certain beliefs that you have about, you know, a political issue or people across the aisle. And as you get it off your chest, you realize, you know, um, again, to the point of my book, Nervous Energy Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, that it stimulates people to to do preparation behaviors. If you have a heart to heart and you realize that, you know, you don't feel any better, you just feel a greater sense of awareness that you're very disturbed by what's happening in your local politics. That conversation, while it didn't, you know, make you feel better, might fire you up and give you the awareness that you need to go volunteer for a campaign or start some door knocking, or maybe it makes you realize that you don't know enough about the issue, that 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 you had a lot of talk and realized you had a lot of emotion, but that you didn't have a lot of facts. And so it may stimulate you to go read a book. The idea is not always talk it out and then feel calm. Sometimes the idea is talk it out and realize what other healthy action you need to take. I think that's such an important part. I'm I'm a huge defender of free speech. And one of the reasons why is that we get better ideas the more that people converse and talk. It's when people stop talking that people don't learn and grow and we can all learn from each other. Have you seen a correlation in this this fear of speaking out because of the polarization of this nation? So people are fearful in doing that and people not feeling as comfortable. We see that even when it comes to suicide rates and there there's so many different factors that go into it, but the people's well-being as a whole has declined and decreased as polarization has increased in the United States. Absolutely. And I would say even it, to me, it's less about the fact that there's polarization and more about the fact that that polarization is for some reason causing us to feel as if we cannot talk to each other and as if we cannot listen to each other. One of the hallmarks of depression is a sense of helplessness. So to the point that you and I just discussed, you can have a good conversation with somebody and they can give you ideas about things that you could do if you wanted to say, learn more, do more, get involved, develop some ideas, learn about what's happening in your community. That would, that would uh, mitigate the sense of helplessness, which is associated 
with depression. On a similar level, social support is considered a protective factor against both anxiety and depression. And when we can have a true heart to heart with others, that is authentic, deep, high quality social support. When we have to be constantly hiding our real views because we're afraid we could get canceled if somebody knows what we really think, that's almost the opposite of social support, right? That's like the opposite. So uh, for many reasons, uh, social support and other factors that help mental health are, I think, are actually associated with free speech. And I think there are a lot of people out there who obviously fear the condemnation of saying something that's unpopular. So that's common for so many people. But there are those people where even if it's not a confrontational topic, they're afraid of conversing in open dialogue because they're going they're afraid they're going to sound stupid. And so what do you say to somebody about the importance of talking through feelings and thoughts as a way to inform oneself and they shouldn't feel stupid for talking about things that they don't have all knowledge about? Mm-hmm. Well, there's one technique in psychology that can be very helpful, which is called narrating your experience, which again is taking your internal life and putting it into words. And it's been shown in psychology to, to be helpful for people's mental health. And so it, what you're describing there, Beverly, narrating your experience would look like saying, you know, I've never really said some of this stuff aloud, so I'm going to talk my way through it and think my way through it. I might even change my mind aloud as I speak. And I, I actually also confess, I don't know a lot about the topic. So if, if, if you hear blind spots in what I'm saying, by all means, feel free to jump in and educate me. But here's what's been on my mind lately. And so to just be honest about where you're coming from, as well as, you know, the limits and and the truth of your curiosity, I think is a great starting point for someone who may even have an accurate awareness that their knowledge level might leave something to be desired. And there's no shame in that, realizing that and then being willing and able to talk it through and start exchanging information and ideas is a great starting point. Well, I want to take a brief moment to talk to you, our listeners. You may know the Independent Women's Forum is the leading national women's organization dedicated to enhancing people's freedom, opportunities, and well-being. But did you know that we are also here to bring you women and men on the go the news. You can listen to our high noon podcast and an intellectual download featuring conversations that make a free society possible. Hear guests like Vince Shapiro and Dave Rubin discuss the most controversial subjects of the day. Or join us for happy hour with At The Bar, where hosts Inez Stepman and Jennifer Braceras chat on the latest issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for High Noon or At The Bar in your favorite podcast app. Well, Dr. Chloe, I want to go back to one of the common criticisms of the idea of free speech. And that is, do you really support all of free speech when people are saying things hateful? For example, if it was racist in nature, do you still support free speech then? So do you think that all speech should be protected? Yes, I do. And that includes if somebody wants to say something against, for example, women, (laughs) as I am, or something against psychologists, as I am. Anything that people want to say, yes, yes, and yes, they should be allowed to say it. Does that mean that I have to choose to open up my ears and listen to it? No, 
no and no. <laughs> in fact, I'm extremely careful about what I personally consume in terms of my, you know, media diet, as well as the people that I let into my inner circle and surround myself with. However, ironically, it's free speech that enables me to make wise choices about who I really want in my inner circle. So if somebody wants to, you know, say derogatory things about women or whatever else, I'm glad to know how they feel because then I can, if I want to, I can engage in debate about it or I can say, yeah, you know, I'd rather just move on and talk to other people about other things. But shutting down free speech, it actually makes us less secure as a society. And so I want to talk about what we have seen more in the educational sphere. We think of higher education, colleges and university who are notorious these days for shouting down speakers, for trying to silence people who have a certain perspective. What could be the possible effects of that, impacts of that as time goes on, if more and more people think that certain speech shouldn't be allowed? Well, obviously, uh, you know, it's a stunted intellectual environment. Um, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate. I've actually had several very interesting talks with some of my professors since graduating, you know, more than a decade ago with my PhD. After a few years, I finally got enough courage up to, to talk to some of the professors that used to say things that I really disagreed with, but I didn't have the courage to discuss. And I then, well, I mean, I say I didn't have the courage, but honestly, it may have even been simple savviness because as we also know, if you disagree with a professor, it could hurt your grade. And I, I needed those grades in order to accomplish my professional goals on some level. Um, but as, as you were kind of alluding to, there's all these safe spaces uh, at these universities. And those are not only damaging and limiting to the intellectual conversation, because we don't, students don't even get to hear both sides. And it's actually by hearing both sides of an argument that we even become inoculated and stronger against, quote, the other side by I think colleges are actually leaving themselves open, uh, vulnerable to an uprising from people like IWF, because they're not even preparing students, you know, to hear the other side. But then, of course, again, as I mentioned earlier, this whole concept of safe spaces is actually undermining our sense of social safety. When we teach students that, God forbid, they hear the wrong words, that that is tantamount to physical violence, which as a clinical psychologist, I can tell you it is not. And, um, you know, when I'm assessing a patient, it's my duty to find out, does this person have thoughts of harm to self or others? And if they do, it is my duty to take legal action to prevent them from acting on those thoughts. If the person tells me that they have thoughts of telling off their neighbor, uh, it would actually be illegal for me to try to take steps to interfere with their movements or, you know, whatever they might do. Uh, so I think we're really doing students a disservice by suggesting to them that words are violence and that they cannot be safe in spaces where people may say things that they dislike. And so much of what people dislike these days is political rhetoric. And I think when Donald Trump was president, he he really highlighted communication, whether you think it was positive or negative, but it was just an interesting case study from a communication standpoint. He introduced more of kind of hitting back tough, name calling, um, and we see that even today among both parties. 
Have you, do you feel like you've seen the rhetoric and how people communicate with each other, especially in the public square on social media, change from how it used to be? And maybe that's partially because of social media allowing people to have this anonymous cover. A hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better, Beverly, to tell you the truth. Um, it's, as you just said, so clearly on social media, we are depersonalized. We there, There's less empathy because you don't see the person's face even kind of register and ouch if you, you know, insult them. Um, there's not even an any kind of obligation or opportunity to stick around and, and hear the person's response. It's a little bit more of a drive-by. Uh, social dynamics are also very distorted and skewed thanks to the bots, you know, because part of the benefits, again, of speech and language are that we have a, a sense of community and social feedback. And if that's actually contrived, through bots on social media or, you know, people that are not really truly there to have a conversation. It's an extremely distorted and maladaptive environment. I wouldn't let anybody on social media that didn't have a very strong and mature sense of themselves. I mean, that sounds strong again to say I wouldn't quote let them, but I would certainly be very careful for anyone that wasn't very grounded if they were going to make that foray. And just to round out the conversation, I want to end with a, a tip maybe that you can offer to our audience. And one of the things I'm very um, benefit in doing is having a platform to be able to share thoughts. And so it gives me, if we want to say, a safe space to do so. It's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. So even though there are some naysayers out there, there is a benefit in a paycheck and having work in order in, in speaking my mind. So it's something that I view as actually an easy thing to do because there's a platform for it. But for people out there who are listening who think, I don't know how to talk to my neighbor about this, or I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm too afraid. It's scary to think about talking about political viewpoints or my perspective on anything, whether that's just day-to-day -day issues, whether that's faith. What tips can you give someone who's, let's say, afraid to dip their toe in these waters, that they really do want to speak about things to help learn? Um, like you said, reduce anxiety is a, is a benefit of it. How do you help that person? How have you helped your patients? Yeah. So uh, Megan, a list there, there's a few thoughts. Um, you know, depending on your situation, one tip is that you may want to consider having an ally, right? So you mentioned the proverbial Thanksgiving dinner table. And uh, if you want to be someone that says, wait a minute, I don't want to be a Thanksgiving dinner table where we can't share our minds. I want to have those good old fashioned, you know, debates and discussions at our Thanksgiving table, but you know, I'm, or with my neighbor or whatever, but I'm just really intimidated. One thought is to have an ally. So you would maybe talk to a friend and say like, I'm going to try to raise the subject of such and such, you know, I'm going to do it in a friendly way. I want to have a true conversation, but I don't want to do it alone. Like, you know, would you join me in, in raising that in the group conversation? Another way to do it is to demonstrate a true willingness to be a listener because what makes those conversations uh, go sideways sometimes is when people feel like they're not really you're not really looking for a conversation you're just trying to you know get at them and so you can start by saying you know I realize that I don't have enough political conversations and maybe I don't understand as much about what other people think would you please share with me your thoughts about such and such and 
I'm going to listen and I'm just going to ask questions. And if you want to hear my thoughts, I'll share them. But I want to start, you know, by by listening. And one final thought, Beverly, um, for people, as you said, that are very shy and just trying to get started is actually to listen to shows like yours. Um, I'll, I'll even say for myself, when I'm trying to kind of work out my own thoughts and feelings about some new item in the news, and it's just kind of take me a little bit to figure myself out. I benefit by listening to political podcasts and shows where other people are talking about it and having a dialogue. And next thing you know, I'm kind of having a dialogue in my mind. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a half step towards having a conversation. And then you can share with somebody, you can forward them the podcast or whatever and say, I heard this and I want to know what you think. I, I do that with girlfriends on social media all the time. I, I know everybody is different. There are some that are internal processors, some that are verbal processors. Processors, Not surprisingly, I'm the latter. I like to talk <laughs> things out and that's how I process. But I think regardless, it just brings up the important point that conversations are important. And the added benefit, as you say, it helps your mental health. It reduces anxiety and depression. And I think it's just a fantastic thing to think about. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, remember the blog is drchloe.com and the book is Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Beverly. I actually have a super easy way for people to find the yes. blog because I know some people just listen. I know you'll put it in the links, but just in case they can go to makeachange.us. That's makeachange.us and it will take them straight to my blog. That's perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to us before you go. Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. And investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That's iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode, if she thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more she thinks from all of us here at independent women's forum thanks for watching